You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Friday, June 26th, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington from New York. Raul Powell is unable to join us today. We'll be joined shortly by Ed Harrison from Washington, D.C. But first, Jack Farley with today's stories. Thanks, Ash. Yesterday, the U.S. broke a record for the most number of coronavirus cases in a day at 41,113. This is the first time that daily cases have broken through the 40,000 threshold. Total cases in the U.S. exceeded 2.4 million, according to Johns Hopkins University. This surge of cases seems to be particularly affecting those who are 40 and younger. In Arizona, one of the states with the largest spikes, 48% of cases are among those in the 20 to 44 age group. In Florida, the median age of residents who are testing positive for the virus has dropped from 65 in March to just 42. And in Texas, 53% of people infected are 20 to 49 years old. In other news, the Federal Reserve is going to be keeping the banks on a tighter leash from now on. The Fed announced yesterday it's prohibiting the largest banks from buying back their own shares until the end of the third quarter and ordered that their dividends be capped to Q2 levels. This was in a sensitivity analysis that was in addition to the regular annual stress test. The projections from the stress test were actually quite good. Lost loan rates seem stable, pre-provisioned net revenues don't look out of line, and even the common equity tier one that vital statistics only dips down a little bit to 9.9%. It was these findings that supported the Vice Chair Randall Quarles' statement that the banks are well capitalized and that they remain strong in light of these shocks. But in addition to the stress test, the Fed also ran a sensitivity analysis that analyzed three additional scenarios, a V-shaped recovery, a U-shaped recovery, and a W-shaped recovery. And the results are flabbergasting. No matter what letter it is, V, U, W, all three scenarios had common equity tier ratios below the severely adverse case. The situations for peak unemployment, peak to trough GDP change, and the floor for 10-year treasury rates show a similar story. The quote, severely adverse scenario materially underrated how bad the situation would actually be. So the Fed's analysis of the V-shaped recovery actually looks worse than the doomsday scenario that was envisioned in February 2020. It's remarkable that now the most optimistic predictions are based on a model that in February predicted an up to 50% decline in the Dow Jones. So now let's get back to the stress test. It forecasted over $550 billion worth of losses in mortgages, corporate loans, bonds, commercial real estate, auto loans, munis, CDOs, CLOs, trading, counterparty risk, the whole nine yards. And then the Fed did a specific analysis of each bank, Some banks performed well under the microscope, but others really are on the knife's edge. Regions Financial's CET1 was at 7.3, whereas BMO Financial Corp's CET1 was at just 5.4. Remember, the bare minimum is at 4.5%, but it's not supposed to get anywhere close to that. And remember, that is the analysis that's based on the, quote, adverse scenario. The bank-specific analysis based on the V, U, and W-shaped recovery has not been released. The Fed also painted a grim macro picture, wherein the U.S. dollar appreciated against the euro, the pound sterling, as well as emerging market currencies. 
The Fed also warned that the high levels of non-financial corporate debt could amplify the losses on bank balance sheets and create a wave of corporate sector defaults. The Fed also predicted, and I'm quoting here, similarly, the leveraged loan market comes under considerable pressure. Open-ended mutual funds and exchange-traded funds that hold leveraged loans and high-yield bonds face heavy redemptions. Due to liquidity mismatches, mutual fund and ETF managers sell their most liquid holdings, leading to a more extensive declines in the price of fixed-income securities and other related assets. The market puked on this stern warning from the Fed, with bank stocks plummeting, almost as if the market is asking itself, what does the Fed know that I don't? So now you see why the Fed decided to order banks to keep hold of their capital, because they need it. But some insiders insist that that's not enough. In a statement yesterday, Governor Lael Brainerd said that allowing banks to pay dividends was a key strategic mistake, saying, quote, this policy fails to learn a key lesson of the financial crisis, and I cannot support it. A lot to think about for sure. For this and more, let's go back to Ash and Ed. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Thanks, Jack. Welcome back, Ed. Looking good, Billy Ray. Looking good, Randolph <laughs> Mortimer. I'm, I'm hopeless. By the way, talking of things that I'm hopeless about, so before I get canceled, let me just say apologies to the Scottish football fans. I did some research. The Scottish Premiership, now often called the Ladsbroke Premiership, uh, is very much its own league with a rich history and traditions all of its own, dating back to the 19th century, as it turns out. And, you, and your fav- are you a Rangers or a Celtic fan? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And the the vastness of my ignorance of soccer is uh, one of the most expansive fields in the universe. Yeah, just because you called it soccer, I think some people will probably smack you for that alone. Football, as opposed to American football, I don't know. So, but you, so Liverpool won uh, yesterday the championship. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it was because basically on points they can't be overtaken by the second place team, which is Manchester City, which lost. Uh, when they lost to Chelsea, which is the team that I follow, uh, mm. they were therefore uh, ruled out of being able to overtake on points. You know, Ed, after 20 years of following the bond market, I think I'm I'm getting a sense of how it works. I, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> it means that Liverpool has so many more points than uh, than Manchester City that they can't. Uh, Manchester City, even if Liverpool lost every game and Manchester mm. City won every game, the last seven. Uh, there are 23 points behind. They would only be able to get 21 points, so they would still lose the championship by two points. Well, congratulations to our viewers in Liverpool. It sounds like a big moment for them. Yeah, definitely. I, the first time, and I, I might correct myself because uh, I think I said something about 40 years. Uh, the first championship that they've won in the top league in, in English football in 30 years. 30 years, long run. Yes. Uh, so, so to get back to a, a slightly more serious note, you know, and I often read, in fact, usually every day I read credit write downs. But this today's edition, I think, was especially insightful. It has kind of a feel of a summing up about it or an overview of all the things that you've been thinking about, writing about, talking about on this show. So I was hoping we could start out 
with that newsletter. Uh, and first to talk a little bit about what you're seeing right now on the COVID front. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the COVID front for me, as I, I was telling you off uh, camera before, I don't know. I don't want to share, you know, like air my dirty laundry and so forth, but it has a, a meaningful impact on me because I was I was telling you to tomorrow is a funeral of a good friend of mine. And I won't be able to to go to the funeral. And and and, the, and why it's because, uh, you know, the covid crisis is flaring up. It's becoming, uh, you know, incredibly uh, big where it wasn't before. And when we see Texas and Florida dialing back the reopening, we know for a fact that what's happening is, is that the economy is going to take a hit. And so some of the more adverse scenarios that you can imp imagine that the Fed is running through in their stress tests are, in fact, going to play out. And so that's yeah. very negative, both for the financial system and for banks uh, specifically. Yeah. And just to update our viewers, uh, so Florida, which you mentioned now, is uh, reporting uh, nearly 9,000 cases today, about 10,000 cases yesterday. Texas has effectively begun to halt some of their reopening process. They've, uh, you know, Texans, uh, if you have never been down there, they take their freedom very seriously. It has a very strong libertarian streak. Um, this represents a, a real departure. Restaurants are reducing capacity again from 75% to 50%, and bars in the state of Texas are going to be closed. Um, you know, these changes come after Governor Greg Abbott, Republican governor down in Texas, uh, drew a line in the sand around a 10 percent positive rate for the covid deaths. That line has been exceeded now. Um, and they are also reporting a single daily new case record of sixty five hundred cases. Yeah. And my understanding is that Florida is following on. And they're also uh, dialing back some of their reopening as well. I haven't seen the details on that myself, but. Those are two large economies. Uh, we also see uh, escalating numbers in places like California and to yeah. a certain degree, Michigan. These are all large states. So, you know, I think that we're going to see a chill in terms of um, people's uh, consumption patterns. We're going to see a chill in terms of business being open. And, you know, why would you open up your business when, for instance, uh, Tyson uh, Foods, which is one of these meatpacking places, they're being sued by three of the, the families of three people who worked there who died. You know, why would you risk the fact that you could open yourself up for a lawsuit when you're endangering your your employees, even if you don't even if it's all about the money and you don't really care? At least you care about a lawsuit. So, I mean, at a minimum, we're going to see uh, a lack of, uh, of buying and we're going to see uh, stores start to close themselves down. The latest that I heard very interestingly was Microsoft has eliminated all retail stores. They're no longer going to have retail. Why? Because COVID is going on too long and their retail stores weren't making them a whole lot of splash anyway. What wasn't giving them the, the boost that they wanted. And so they're closing them down. That's how things are going to proceed going forward. Yeah, I don't think anyone's teenagers were being asked to go to the Microsoft store on the weekend. No, no. You know, just to highlight some of the points that you made, I think you're absolutely right on the size of these economies. You know, Texas, Florida, California, California now has a total of 200,000 cases. These are economies that are the size of some small European states. They're absolutely massive. Um, fortunately, though, we have some good news to report uh, from down in Texas. 
Uh, a consortium of four hospital CEOs came out today in a virtual press conference, and I'm quoting directly from the Houston Chronicle, quote, hospitals and ICU capacity is abundant, despite stating in a letter sent out earlier this week that capacity was increasingly stretched and reaching dangerous levels. That was a story that we picked up on on Real Vision. So this is some good news uh, down in the Houston area, at least in the short term. Is it good news or uh, is there something else uh, underneath that? Because when you say one day X and then the next day you say Y, you have to wonder which is true, X or Y. They both can't be true at the same time. Yeah, that's right. I think it's just a case, uh, from my perspective at least, of just wanting to find some story that looks less positive, that looks more positive and, and less dire. You know, we feel for people down in Texas. We went through this here in the New York metro area. It is a very difficult and very painful thing. And we've said this ourselves numerous times that it's something that once you've experienced it, when it's in your neighborhood, it just feels more visceral and more real. Yeah, I, I have a friend who also uh, is good friends with the, uh, the, the guy who is having the funeral tomorrow and he's in Houston and he was telling me via text that uh, don't believe what you 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 uh, hear, meaning that it's not as bad as they make it out to be. So at least you, I have that. Uh, you know, we're not there, so we don't know. Yeah. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, from, from my perspective, the, the the positive is is that younger people are the ones who are being infected, and we know that younger people have better survival rates. Obviously, even if you get infected, uh, you can be hospitalized as, as someone who's in the twenty to forty four age cohort. We see that those are the numbers, uh, the people in the state of Arizona, as an example, who are yeah. getting most uh, of the infections and who are also occupying the second largest uh, cohort of hospitalizations. But uh, at a minimum, we could say that to the degree that they maintain some social distance from their grandparents, that might be positive in terms of uh, it's not the oldest people who are really getting hit hard by this as yet. So. If you want a, a, a you know a silver lining, maybe that's it. Maybe it can stop before it gets to that that juncture. Yeah, it's, we're all searching for that silver lining for just from a human perspective. Um, you know, we don't really like talking about viruses. It's not something that we want to talk about, certainly. But as it impacts markets, uh, it's something that we have to look at. Um, and that brings me back to the idea that we were saying earlier, which is to turn back to the newsletter credit write-downs that you wrote, as specifically about the Fed and the stress test and the impact of the virus on the economy. Yeah. So the interesting bit uh, with regard to what I was writing today is that the Fed was uh, talking about uh, severe adverse uh, economic scenarios. Uh, back in February. This is before they intervene in the market on March the 23rd. And so the interesting bit is, is that their severely adverse economic scenario or their market scenario, I mean, was absolutely catastrophic in terms yeah. of uh, market outcomes. Um, Ed, let, just, me, let me quote you quoting the Fed in the newsletter, because I think this is spot on and really cuts the point. Uh, the quote from the Fed begins, uh, the 2020 market shock component for the severely adverse scenario is designed to be generally consistent with a macroeconomic background in which, and then this is the meat of the quote right here, the US economy has entered a sharp recession characterized by widespread defaults on a range of debt instruments by business borrowers. Under the scenario, weaker obligors struggle to maintain their financial condition due to material declines in earnings associated with the poor economic environment while ratings agencies downgrade large portions of debt outstanding. The historically high levels of non-financial corporate debt to GDP amplify the losses 
resulting from the wave of corporate sector defaults. This dynamic creates feedback effects between the economy and the corporate sector. Sobering words. Yes. And, you know, the thing that I found the most sobering uh, reading another part of what they were saying was when they were talking about uh, mutual funds, ETFs and the high yield. This is what they say that I found really kind of distressing. And, and remember, this is from February. This isn't from June. This is before they intervened. They were saying spreads widened sharply for non-investment grade and low investment grade bonds as rating sensitive investors anticipate further downgrades and sell assets. Similarly, the leveraged loan market comes under considerable pressure. Open-ended mutual funds and exchange-traded funds that hold leveraged loans and high-yield bonds face heavy redemptions. And due to liquidity mismatches, mutual fund and ETF managers sell their most liquid um, holdings. And then they go on and talk about CLOs in a very negative way as well. So every single market that you know you and I have been talking about, Jack's been talking about, that we've been concerned about, they were saying in February, these markets are going to implode unless we step in. So my my thinking is, and they've they've updated their thinking. They've talked about the W recession. They've talked about a U-shaped and, and, a, and a V-shaped. The updates that they have are so negative in terms of the tone. It tells you that uh, they believe that they may have to intervene yet again, even more into the markets than they already have given the adverse uh, scenarios that that they're painting. You know, Ed, based on what you just read, it sounds like the only asset class that isn't affected is the cash that my grandfather used to keep stashed in the freezer. Right. Uh, you know, uh, the, the interesting bit is, is, you know, they did uh, intervene into the investment grade market, right? The only market that they've intervened into so far are mortgage-backed securities, uh, the investment grade market, and they've also intervened in uh, the treasury market. And so, I mean, one one negative uh, way to look at this, uh, this isn't the way that I'm looking at it. The, um, one way to look at it is that they're saying, we, in, we intervene in those markets because those are markets that are liquid and that are relatively solvent. But these other markets that we already identified in, in February, the uh, CLO market, the ETF market for open-ended mutual funds for high yield and leveraged loans, the leveraged loan markets itself, the high yield market, and they even say uh, low investment grade bonds, that's triple Bs, that they're not going to intervene as much there. The, the biggest problem with that, uh, with that thinking is that last bit, the low investment grade bonds. That's the, the, that's the first, that's the highest tier with, uh, within the capital structure that they mentioned was under assault in the severely adverse economic scenario. And, so, and they've already decided that they would intervene there, even if those bonds became uh, junk, if they were downgraded into uh, high, high yield. So you know that there's a slippery slope that the Fed is on. So my postulation is, depending upon how severe the economic scenario is, and how uh, disrupted markets become, the Fed will intervene. They will go down the slippery slope even further, and we'll just have to see uh, how low asset prices have to get and how difficult the situation has to be before the Fed intervenes. Yeah. I should say that when I was referencing the asset classes that are going to be impacted, I wasn't referring to what was happening now. I was talking about the Fed projections about what could happen in the most 
dire or exigent circumstances. And to precisely that point, I just want to quote credit write downs uh, again. And this is you writing, quote, notice that the Fed is talking about economic scenarios divorced from financial conditions. What they're modeling is a severely adverse economic conditions outcome in alternative economic scenarios. There's a sense in which doing this isn't realistic because the financial economy and the real economy have feedback loops. But even so, it's a useful exercise for us to see because it gives us a sense of how the Fed is thinking. Yeah, not only how they're thinking now, but how they were thinking uh, in the past, uh, something that presaged uh, actions that they took. So we know that they said right. X in February and they did Y in March. And now here we are at June and we know what they're saying. And therefore we can use their past actions to get a sense of what they're likely to do. And yeah. so, you know, for me, it's the fact that they've intervened in the non-investment grade, uh, in the low investment grade market already, including fallen angels that tells me that they're on a slippery slope and that there is a great possibility that if the if uh, financial conditions deteriorate enough, that they're willing to go the extra mile. You know, yep. who knows if they could even do equity ETFs for that matter as a result of, you know, moving down the slippery slope. So yeah. I think the Fed is on a, its, its slippery slope. And uh, and that's why people think that the Fed's got their back. But is it going to work? Is it going to be enough to to levitate the market uh, forever? I, I have my serious doubts about that. And we're yep. about to find out. And the reason is because of the COVID-19 uh, outbreak escalating at this point. Yeah. And for those who aren't familiar, fallen angels are corporate credits that were issued as investment grade and have been downgraded to junk uh, after the fact. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about the, the way that you view this. What we're looking at is how the Fed viewed the future in the past and trying to extrapolate how the Fed will view the future in the future, right? It's a pretty, it's a pretty abstract notion that we're trying yeah. to down here. But it is, it is useful and helpful to just understand the thinking and the framework because these are human beings and human beings generally remain consistent in the way they view the world. Uh, obviously, data can change their opinions and their impressions, but it does give you at least a context, a framework, uh, as Roger would say, for thinking about your thinking. Yes. And, you know, I want the the intro that Jack did today is very interesting uh, with regard to dividends on that score, because it gives you an insight into where the Fed is going into the future, uh, where the Fed said. And, you know, we've had Chris Whalen on to talk about this before. I don't know if you saw the EV that he did where he basically said uh, he thinks it's a bad idea if the Fed were to outlaw dividends or to do anything on that because it would harm the banks. Uh, and that he doesn't think that the banks need it. But the Fed just told us that the banks need it. The Fed said that the the potential for a, a bad outcome in the uh, in terms of loan losses is so large uh, relative to what we're uh, prepared to uh, to tolerate that we want you to a stop uh, using any sort of buybacks and b you can only uh, give dividends to, uh, of a certain amount. And, and here's the kicker that I found absolutely astonishing, that one of the Fed governors uh, issued a statement saying that actually that path is irresponsible, that it yes. wasn't enough, that you have to stop all dividends altogether. Lael Brainerd, the Fed governor, said, you know, no dividends, ASAP. 
time out on, on, on dividends, that tells you that the Fed is incredibly worried. So if the Fed is that worried right now, uh, and they're talking about these severely adverse uh, impacts, what does that mean in terms of what we should be thinking is going to happen economically and to, to financial markets? It, yeah. it should definitely give us a sense that policymakers are speaking uh, in a very sanguine language publicly, but their actions are showing that they're much more worried privately. Yeah, um, and we should point out it's it's relatively unusual for a Fed board governor to effectively write a dissenting decision from a policy action and then post it on the Fed website, which Jack Farley assiduously crawling through data this morning found. Yeah, uh, I, I was I was very astonished uh, um, at how plain the language was in terms of saying that this isn't the right move. We should be doing more. Uh, so clearly. If uh, she, you know, she's uh, saying, look, uh, I'm opening the doors to a internal discussion that we're having here at the Fed, uh, an argument, if you will, we're having between policymakers because I didn't get my way. That tells you how contentious that, uh, <laughs> that discussion piece must have been. Yeah. As everyone who's been on a team knows, when you go outside the team and say, you know, we've had a little bit of disagreement internally, it usually means you were screaming at each other when the doors were closed. We, of course, don't know whether that's the case, but it does suggest, I think, the possibility that there is some real dissension within the ranks of the Fed governors. Definitely. That's, that's my takeaway there. Yeah. So what, what does it mean, given the volatility that we have? How can we sort of um, wrap this up in a way that is relevant to what's going on in the markets. The, what we're seeing in the markets right now is reflective of, of this, uh, this trend. We, we had the, um, what I would call the, um, the post-opening rally, the reopening rally, and that got us up to uh, highs again on the NASDAQ, got us near highs again on the S&P and on the Dow. And now, uh, as a result of the reopening, we're seeing a massive increase in uh, viral uh, contamination. And, and so now we have to reconsider how, uh, how adverse are the near-term impacts going to be from that recontamination. We're going to find out very shortly. When uh, you know, we see the delay in terms of the death counts, when we see the uh, what the the numbers look like in terms of consumption and also in terms of output. Yeah, you know, I'm talking about the real economy, feedback loops, and markets. Let's cut really quickly to what happened today in equity markets because it is material. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 2.84 percent to the 25,015 level. The S&P 500 down 2.42 percent to the 3,009 level, and finally the Nasdaq down 2.59% to 97.57, closing below the 10,000 level again today. Yeah, those are some uh, some pretty weak figures, I have to say. And it, it's emblematic of where we're headed uh, in terms of the volatility that we're seeing. And, and, you know, what I was saying to you earlier is that we're in a seesaw here now because we had the reopening rally up. And now we're at this point where we've gotten to a certain level and we're trying to see, uh, is this level adequate given now that we have more data on the reopening? And that's when we're getting hit by the, the COVID wave. And, and therefore, we're seeing volatility until we get a sense of, is this wave going to have a significant economic impact? Yeah. 
And perhaps to close, we'll quote, quote Ed Harrison, quote, if you take the view as I do that the real economy and the financial economy are interlocked, then you have to see the severely adverse scenario the Fed is outlining as more likely than it has been willing to admit when the W-shaped recovery is happening right before our eyes. There it is, exactly. I mean, the W, that is the second dip. It's happening exactly right now. It's right in front of us. I mean, when we see stores closing, when we see Texas rolling back their reopening, when we see Florida rolling back the reopening, that's the W that we're talking about. And we know for a fact now that the Fed has been saying one thing and then underneath they've been talking about more adverse scenarios. When they're talking about, hey, wait a minute, we're going to cut dividends to zero potentially because they have a debate about how bad it's going to be. That's when you have to think, yes, we have to be considering more adverse scenarios for markets, not just for the economy. And that's where we are right now. Uh, It'll take a while until we get the answer, but that's where we are. Well, exactly. That ties it up nicely. Ed, as always, great analysis. Good to talk to you, Ash. I, I was thinking, you know, as we ended it, I was going to say, you know, Billy Ray, but we'll 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 try it one more time again next week. We'll rehearse for next week. Thanks for joining us, Ed. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We appreciate it. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.